You're listening to Tech Nest, the PropTech Podcast. In each episode, you'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. Discover market opportunities, interesting data, growth tactics, and trends driving the industry forward. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. All right, let me throw a question at you. If I asked you to explain what lease abstraction is, would you first tell me, get ready, this is an exciting discussion? I don't know. Maybe you would. Maybe you really like the idea of pouring through piles of paper or Word documents, summarizing the details of lease agreements, and then passing it over to your asset manager or asset team you know, so that they can do what they were trying to do. I don't think that sounds very exciting, but Cameron Steele, and he comes from the tech background. He's not from the real estate background. He's a co-founder and CEO of a company called Profia. And Profia is making this process much easier than what I just described. Now, they don't lead with, but they are an AI data company. You know, they'll talk about their data and we get into this a little bit. This is actually one of the pieces I was most excited about because while they are actively using AI modeling and technologies to be able to read documents, create concepts, you know, and make data available from unstructured formats, that's not how they pitch themselves. We also talk a little bit about what is real and not real AI. It seems to be a very popular conversation these days. And if commercial real estate should be concerned about this stuff, what should you be thinking? Where are things headed? This is a fun conversation on a topic that I never thought I would have, uh, but yet here we are, and I can promise you, it's it's interesting. So let's jump in. I think you'll like what you hear from Cameron. Hopefully, there's a few lessons in here. Hey, Cameron, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Nate. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you here. Uh, I'm always looking forward to the episodes where I know it feels like I'm stepping into the a bit of the unknown to find out what's going to happen. This is like the first time a JV player takes the field to start <laughs> varsity to see, does it hurt that much more to get hit by those guys? Uh, but maybe not. I don't know. But um, well, anyway, I'm excited to have you here. And uh, it looks like you're somewhere sunny. Where are you based out of? I'm based out of San Francisco. Um, so okay. what you're seeing is a uh, little bit of the background in San Francisco, which um, is a little more lively than it has been. San Francisco is a lot of bad press for nobody going to the office anymore. And um, mm-hmm. uh, I think warranted, but also it is it is starting to get busier around here, which is good, which is it's more lively, which is great. Go ahead and ig- ignore all of my uh, tweets <laughs> for the last <laughs> you know, two or three years. Um, but, uh, well, cool. It, it's exciting. And I, it's, I don't ever see tall buildings anymore now that I live in the Silicon Prairie. So, well, let's get ahead and get started the way we always do. Please introduce yourself. Let everyone know who you are and what you do. Yes. My name is Cameron Steele. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Profia. And we are a 
a Series A Series A stage um, a prop tech company focused on real commercial real estate, the series segment of the real estate market, data specifically. We think of ourselves first as a data company, um, and I can get into why we th- we think of ourselves that way. I love it. And but now before we get into the details, because there's going to mm-hmm. be a lot for us to dig into, um, I want to start with the name. Talk to me about the name because it's a unique sounding name. It almost has property to it, but it was like that. Yeah, the FIA part is what what got me. I thought was just unique. Yeah, we we actually used to, we changed our company name uh, about two and a half years ago. I don't recommend anyone doing that. It's painful, um, and nobody likes whatever ideas you come up with. And we had a pretty federated process within the team to to make the mm-hmm. change, um, but. Uh, uh, the prior name was Leasable. Um, we changed our name to Profia. I think it, largely it was confusing to our customers. They they kind of made some assumptions about um, what we did based on our name. And and then I found out that one of my co-founders didn't like it. And so anyway, it was a good, we just decided to make the change. So um, the, 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 the genesis of the name is uh, Property and Sophia. Sophia is uh, in Greek is uh, intelligence. And it's really what we're all about. We're trying to provide our customers with better property intelligence specifically. So I will second the recommendation that if you do not have to change your company name, I'll go even further domains. Uh, (laughs) Don't. We just did this. Uh, I just went through. I mean, I'm still kind of like going through some of the fallout. You know, eight weeks ago, we, we migrated our domain to be a little bit more in line with where we were taking the brand and it's painful, but that's one you just rip the bandaid off. Once you make you that, decision, do don't, don't look back. Just, you, you you know, just deal, deal with the problems as they come forward. <laughs> just do it. And there's always some stuff you forget. And there's some stuff yes. that still lingers in our old company name that I don't, we don't really know how to fix, but um, yeah, fortunately it's earlier, the, the earlier in your stage of development, the better. Yes. And I think we just decided we kind of knew we needed to do this. And so, yeah, we made, the, we made the switch and it's been good. Um, I mean, I think the, the criticism, it sounds like a pharmaceutical. Um, I get it. Um, uh, but, I, I didn't uh, think that one bit. Yeah. It's, you get weird. It's funny. You get weird. People have weird kind of reactions to these types of things. Um, I didn't either, but then a couple of people told me that after we made the decision and I was like, okay, damn. But, uh, but so far it's been good. Like, I think it's been, it's simple. It's easy to, it's generally easy to say, you know, even if people don't say it perfectly correct, it's totally fine. And it's short. Sure. And I think it really, it's, it's the Genesis or the, um, sort of the, the, you know, the, the construction of the name really is our, are really around our, our value proposition where we're going as a company. So I think the team and our customers really, really kind of, it resonates with them. Yeah. Well, talk to me a little bit more about that. So, Profia, what do you what do you guys solve for? What do we do? So, we're you know we when we when we started the company, and this was something that um, uh, gets back into kind of the the founding story. Um, I, I have not, I did not grow up and have a career in real estate. I've been in technology, um, software, particular my whole career. I've worked. Uh, both in private equity and also worked uh, in public in public investments, um, and then been an operator. So I've had a bunch of different types of roles. So I kind of I bring a kind of perspective as both an investor mm. as well as an operator to this problem. And when we looked at commercial real estate, I, I'd sort of been tipped off by this is the second company I've I've uh, helped co-found and 
And one of my prior business partners kind of had, had a company that he started in the um, uh, in, con- in the construction services area and was like, you should really talk to these guys who really are are just telling me that the commercial space is just, you know, very behind in terms of innovation. So I was like, okay, I'll take a meeting. So I was working somewhere else at the time uh, at, at our acquirer. And then, uh, but thinking about what I wanted to do next. And when I heard about sort of what people put up with in real estate mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. from a data, quality of data and tools perspective, I was stunned. And some of the processes that are in place to sort of, you know, just do simple things. So when I think about it as a sort of two ways, as a, as a, as a investor asset allocator, um, it's one of the world's largest markets um, with some of the poorest quality data. And that spills into both how you operate and manage assets as well as how you allocate capital. And so um, when we thought about kind of what people needed and what they could use, it really helped kind of formulate what we needed to do, which is we mm-hmm. want to focus on quality of data. We want to focus on the building itself and in, in in by extension portfolios. Um, and how can we provide a more holistic, trusted view and, and actually have a have structured data that people that people can share and use um, mm-hmm. to answer not only questions about their own portfolio and how to inform how they operate and optimize the value of those assets, but also at, at some point in the future, we, our data set will be so big, we'll be able to do some things that are much beyond that in partnership with our customers. So, so that's kind of what we wanted to do. So it's a pretty big vision. Um, I've seen this in other asset classes in my career where, you know, like people, the quality of the data, the quality of the tools gets a lot better and the liquidity gets better, transparency gets better, pricing gets better, everything gets better. And I think commercial real estate is in this early phase of, mm-hmm. of adopting tools. And, and really, at the end of the day, it's about, it's about getting this building data, which is really hard to sort of get at and get it, making it easily accessible um, for, for, all, for all parties, both um, you know, the, the property owners themselves and then the stakeholders that work on behalf of property owners to, to run, the, run the buildings. You talk a little bit about, well, you talked a lot about data there. And, you know, digging into copy and going through the site and all, um, I was able to pull out a little bit about there's some AI in here. I didn't hear you mention AI. And I heard you lead with, hey, we're a data company, not an AI company, which is kind of like you're bucking the trend right now. Everything, everyone's AI, man. I I thought maybe, you know, be honest with you. I was like, man, I can't believe he's not leading with an AI company. We'll talk a lot about AI. I think... I'm of the opinion that like you lead with problem solving and you apply technology against those problems. And so mm. one th- so we've been at this for five years. So we are at our hearts an AI company. We're using natural language processing algorithms. We're using large language models, all the buzzwords. We've been doing it for the past five years um, to, a- to get access to or to help get annotate and get data out of unstructured environments. That's another mm-hmm. way of saying contracts. Paper into a database, right into our system, yep. and then we we tether back and we tether back to the source document to build trust because we're in the trust business. At the end of the mm-hmm. day, our customers need to trust their data is accurate. They don't today; it's a big problem, and so we're helping them do that. I I, I think that's uh, for what it's worth. I think uh, other founders listening to this. I'm a marketing guy, not a data guy, not a you know AI guy. Uh, and whether or not you're a real estate person or not, um, what you talked about leading with, you know, solving problems, 
versus just the, the underlying tech. And I've seen this and, and you and I had a chance to talk pre-show. We were actually kind of riffing a little bit on the, you said you listened to our interview with uh, Jeffrey Berman from Camber Creek. And we kind of, we riffed on this a little bit like, hey, all this money into prop tech and where's the progress? Yeah. <laughs> and some of it's like some of the distractions. It's just like you can't just take blockchain and then say it's going to solve everything and then try and find the thing it's going to solve yeah. or it's, hey, what is the problem we're trying to solve for? And okay, then what's the best way to do it? And it happens to be a new tech. Yeah. Then that's a great way to do it. And I, my my kind of, the way I prefer to operate and the way I like to sort of plan and, and build companies and hopefully build value is, as I, as I said, not sort of build technology and then find a, find a problem for it. It's like, mm-hmm. let's identify a problem and apply technology to it. And so back in 2018, when we started the company, um, and just to give you a little more context, you know, a, a building is like a little business, right? It's got revenue, it's got expenses. Usually there's some a mortgage on the property, you know, because mm-hmm. typically these are financed through debt. And then there's probably some co-ownership, um, which is pretty common. Um, but all, all that governance is govern all the governance of those relationships is done through legal agreements, and they're stand, pretty standard, you know, across across each category. But the thing that really drives value in the market is the leasing, you know, because people are not buying buildings because they think they look cool. It's not a vanity purchase. Though mm-hmm. I'm sure there has been some vanity purchases that have happened. But at the end of the day, it's about cash flow. It's about what is this building going to do? It's a commercial property. It's generating cash flow. And that cash flow is governed by the underlying contracts that the tenants have with the landlord. And so the problem there is that it's so complex and there's so many things that impact that relationship. And then you mm-hmm. layer on top of that, particularly in an office or in, in kind of retail environments, you have just stacks and stacks of of tenants that all have their own agreements and things like that. It can get very complex. And so for our customers, they have, they struggle with how to manage, uh, how do, how do I manage and optimize this asset when I'm struggling with all this different data? And yeah, what do they do today? Like if they don't have Perfia, what are they doing? So they do what was done in the seventies and eighties, which is the thing that struck me as odd, which is they have a manual lease abstraction process. So they hire someone or they have people internally that will basically summarize the document, you know, this, this, this contractual agreement, and mm-hmm. it'll be a static, you know, report, you know, which is as good as, as produce, you know, it lasts as long as <laughs> until, you know, until it's, until something changes. So, so the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. And that's what the industry historically has done. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing now is we have tools to sort of enable, uh, enable getting the data out of these documents and into a, into a, into a database, really. And the way, the other thing that our customers don't necessarily know right off the bat, but they benefit from is, is once you have trusted data in a database and you have a set of tools around it, you can get the same people working off the same data set. Like, I run a company, I want our team, and you, you're you involved in running a company, right? Like, you want your team right. using the same data, right? Like, if they're trying to, like, get stuff done and achieve goals, it's nice to know you have the same, you're working off the same goals and the same data. You know, and this, this gets back to just, you know, I think a general technology and software background. And, you know, I started my career at Oracle, and this was drummed into my head uh, right off the gates. Um, but, like, having a, a central system of record that's, you know, in a structured environment is extremely important for 
teams that are trying to get things done that need to work multi multifunctionally, right? And I think one of the things that the industry struggles with is, you know, the leasing team is working off of one data set, the property managers are working off another, and the capital markets teams are working off a different data set, and they all have their own systems, they don't talk to each other. So that, but it's all around the data of the building, right? The building is the source of value here, and the portfolio is. So we're trying to address that. So we've started with the most complex, uh, difficult uh, area. We've leaned into complexity, which is the leasing agreement. So today we, we, we capture 40 different document types uh, that are associated with a tenant-landlord uh, relationship, and we capture up nearly 200 distinct concepts, um, and our customers don't care about names and dates. Like, that's irrelevant to them. They know the names and dates. What they do care about is some of the deeper uh, conceptual requirements, which called encumbrances in the, in the, uh, in the space, and, and other things that sort of govern the relationship. They need to know what those are. And they don't have to go back and reread these brutally long documents every time they need to have it. They need to have it in a way that's in a standardized format that's available to them that's easy to understand. Um, if I have Profia, then... My property manager, the asset manager, can log in, and uh, I'm going to throw out a, a scenario here. So you tell me where I'm wrong, and maybe it's something like uh, you know we're trying to figure out like expenses on maintenance for the next year and who's covering what, and maybe yeah. most of them are triple net, but not all of them are triple net. Some of them require they have to do annual HVAC inspections. Some of them have to do certain upgrades to furnaces or certain maintenance. And we need to pull all that together because we're trying to lock that down for the next. And we could we could run some sort of query inside of Profia to look for that in all of our leases, see what we need to do and where and how those numbers shake out. Yeah, exactly. And so let me let me tell you more about what we provide. So um, yeah, Think of think of what we provide today as sort of three layer three levels of of interaction with the data. Um, the first is really at the lease or tenant level. So typically, there's a summary of like what they're contractually obligated to. You know, the industry would call that an abstract. We call it a summary. We link back to the annotations we do in the documents, so people can click through and check. Um, they can see what our AI is doing, and then we have human review on top of that to make sure it's accurate. So that's super helpful at sort of a tenant level. Then we consolidate that into a, into a view of the building. So we have a set of reports, including a dynamic stacking plan and critical dates report, encumbrance rights report, subtenant report. All that is tied to the building. And so if I want to see what's happening with the building, um, we, can, we can share that with you. And let me give an example of something we do that's hard for our customers to do today. Sometimes there's what's called ROFOs or ROFERS, which are right of first offer and right of first refusal by tenants on adjacent space in a building. Um, If you're a growing company and you sign a lease like, hey, I'd like to have the whole team here, (laughs) um, I'm going to write that into my agreement. And um, sometimes there's these rights attached to multiple tenants will have rights to that space. And so... You know, how do you make sure you're offering to the right person? How do you know it's there? How do you know you're offer, offering to the right person? And if you, if you task your leasing team to go lease the space, you better make sure there's not a right attached to it. And so a lot of this work is done manually today, but our, our team can really see it visually. And um, they can click through and get the information they need to sort of, you know, manage that aspect of the relationship as an example. And then finally, we have a portfolio uh, querying and reporting capabilities. So you want to 
one of the things we just talked to a prospective customer yesterday and he was they have they have a very sizable portfolio in the US and he's like what we lo- would love to do is to yeah, if we are negotiating with a particular tenant about a termination right, we'd love to be able to capture that language really quickly and sort of in, input it into the discussion or, or proposal we have uh, for uh, an existing tenant. And we allow you to do that in seconds. Um, you can query termination right, you know, across all your assets, find the do it by date and be able to query and grab data really quickly. So we just make it really easy for people. And it's just something they've never had before. Everything they've done before has been manual. Uh, the, the example I like to use, because I think it's it's uh, people can relate to it, is sort of the indoor plumbing analogy. So before indoor plumbing, you'd go to your well, you'd get your water, you'd bring it into the house, you'd treat it, you'd use it for what you want. That's effectively what our customers, or, or not our customers, but the industry does today with data. They'll go out, they'll, ma- they'll pull the data, they'll manually compile it, and they'll do it over and over again. And, you know, what we do is we kind of provide that that hot potable indoor water that's readily ready to use for whatever purpose you need. Um, and that's the way we like to, that's the way we like to think of it with our customers is we provide you that trusted data source that you can then use to, to help, you know, operate and run your building and make decisions about how you want to allocate capital. Got it. So, and then all the, so I'm curious here, cause that, you know, some of the, some of the stats, your, your team tipped me off on, Right, so you I mean you guys you've done eighteen hundred different building locations, like Correct. more than a million yep. documents, you know, one hundred sixty million square feet. So there's a lot of data that you've been able to ingest. Is any of that then put into some sort of an aggregate form that each individual customer then has like a shared access to, or is it only the data that a customer is essentially inputting they have access back to? Yeah. So today, um, our customers only have access to what we call an account level data. So mm-hmm. one of our customers is Nuveen, right? So Nuveen will have um, the, we have a fairly sizable footprint with Nuveen. So anyone who works at Nuveen will be given access to either by building or by portfolios or sub portfolio information. But they don't. The, those folks don't have access to. Spear Street Capital, which is another one of our customers, right? They have their own stuff. Gotcha. Where yep. we do use the data combined of all the data that of combined of our customers is the training data and the tuning of the algorithms to sort of do our NLP and the annotation, the auto annotation of the data. So yeah. every new, and this is different than what was done historically, but every new customer that comes in will contribute to um, the quality of the underlying training data that's used to sort of annotate. And then, um, you know, in theory, over time, that gets a lot better. And we've seen, you know, we've when we started the business, we thought, oh, we'd probably need 30 to 40 concepts. Um, that's probably sufficient. And now we're up to nearly 200. Um, there's just a persistent interest from our customers in capturing more and more data um, because mm-hmm. it helps them out a lot. Um, but anyway, that put pressure on our data science team, right? So we have to uh, continue to train uh, and support from an AI perspective. We use natural language processing technology to do this, um, to sort of uh, train the inform- train the, the algorithms to identify, hey, that's, that's a holdover clause, right? Um, so we know it's a holdover clause. We've seen it 50,000 times. We know that the, the data around it is suggestive of this, and we have a high degree of confidence that when we identify that, then it, uh, it's, uh, it's accurate. Yeah. I, I, I always hesitate to bring this up, but I, I feel like it's important just because like, you know, the world of 
commercial real estate has seen some waves in the last three years and literal waves, uh, pretty choppy, both high and low. <laughs> and so, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I'm curious though, uh, cause you, you guys raised a, a series a, not that long ago, just a few yep. months ago last year. Yep. Um, and congrats on that, by the way. And so I'm, I'm curious that it has, was the COVID-19 pandemic, in any way, shape, or form, like, did it impact your business either as a tailwind or headwind? And, you know, now that I don't know if we're officially out of the pandemic, and I have no idea if people can hear my dog's chew toy. He is he is outside <laughs> my door. Just I hear him ripping. I'm dedicated to this show, guys. I'm hearing him go through things. You know, my wife is not. A great time. He's, he's having a great time. My wife is not here. <laughs> the house is what it is right now. But we're going to get through this. I refuse to give in. Um, but I, I'm, I'm wondering if you know there's been any effects of the pandemic that yeah. you've felt on the business. No, it's a great question. Um, so we, as I said, we started the company in 2018. Uh, we launched uh, our first, we got our first customer live late 2018, 2018, and we started really signing up more beta customers in 2019, um, and just just start generating revenue in 2019, which was exciting. Um, I hired our first salesperson in early 2020. We launched our, our product commercially, and then the pandemic hit. Um, and it was really tough. Um, our customers, our prospective customers, were not worried about innovation. They worried about you know existential risk um, when the world has changed pretty dramatically for them. We were able to grow through it. We didn't let anybody go. We continued investing in our product, and I'm just very thankful we made those decisions to do that. Um, but it was a really, it was a rough kind of 12 to 18 months. Um, uh, you know, we couldn't go see anybody. You know, people weren't in their offices. You know, people, you know, it, they're just limited. Real estate people like to interact personally, and so it changed. It changed things. Um, now that's the bad news. The good news is, is it's I think because of COVID and especially in the office environment, we, we have a variety of different sectors. We have office, but we do medical office and life sciences. We have retail, we have industrial. So there's some diversity in just in the folks that we work with. Um, but uh, I think what's now happening is because the market is undergoing some stress uh, post COVID, interest rates are up. Um, there's a new and, and I think very enthusiastic interest in doing things differently and figuring out ways to sort of operate uh, and and be more efficient and think about problems differently. Um, as someone said, it, I know, I, I, I remember repeating what somebody else said on your podcast, but I'll do it anyway. Um, when things are going really well, there's less impetus to change. If things are, uh, things are difficult, people are very interested in solutions to solving problems that, that may mm. not be the case. So, so we're finding that to be the case as well. And I think our business is accelerating, uh, particularly late last year and this year because of that, because we're just seeing people are looking for help. They need help in this market. Um, they need to do things differently. And if you go back and, you know, tell your CEO or your board, hey, we're going to hire a bunch of people to do a bunch of manual data compilation work. Sorry, <laughs> that's not a winning strategy, right? So how can we use AI and next gen mm -hmm. technology to sort of put ourselves in a position to win? And, you know, the if you think about this from an investor perspective, and this is kind of where I come to a lot, like if you look at different asset classes, um, whether it be equities, you know, or fixed income, or even some of the private equity categories, like all those, uh, all those um, areas 
uh, over time, as they digitize and use data more, become more efficient, become really efficient markets, better liquidity, better pricing, um, better transparency. And um, I think this is absolutely coming for real estate. It's today, it's a very inefficient market. You know, it's, mm. it's increasing, it's extraordinarily competitive, but you know, it's, there's no data transparency. Um, it's very opaque. Um, it's, there are really high transaction costs. <laughs> the transaction timelines are, are slow. And, um, you know, the people that are able to move more quickly and to move with confidence and have better data are going to win. And that's, that's, you know, we hope to position ourselves to be a partner to help those folks win in this kind I of have So many angles I want to go off of here. Um, I'll, I'll go with the, the doomsday ar- argument that I've seen floating around a few you know, between a few different people, mostly sure. on Twitter, uh, is that there is a wave of balloons coming due mm-hmm. and pro formas are not matching reality. There's going to be either capital calls or handing property keys back over. Um, you guys are collecting a lot of data, so you're getting a little bit of insight to where things are yep. shaken. What are you seeing in regards to that? Is it should should generally commercial operators or people that rely on commercial operators for other businesses or are tied to like, is this a time to be fearful or is it a time to just genuinely be concerned? But you kind of said it like, yeah, you know, there's ways out of this. You just have to pursue the solution. Yeah. I, I think it kind of depends. Like if you're, we, some of our customers are just frothing at the mouth because they're seeing pricing. They're seeing opportunities that they haven't seen in a while. Um, mm. starting to meet their requirements. And for people that want to put capital to work and want to see good returns on that capital, pricing is important. Um, uh, there also is, uh, and I think it also depends on location and, and asset class, right? So if you're talking about downtown San Francisco, where I'm sitting, there's going to be some pain. And we've already seen a little bit of it um, uh, and with some of our customers where they've, some of it's been public where they've chosen, they're deciding whether to walk away from an asset because they need to either reinvest in it significantly to make it, you know, up to standards mm-hmm. or, or they need to walk away and just, you know, uh, make a different decision. We had a conversation with one of our customers the other day who uh, let a building go. They're still operating it. But um, so we're, they're, we're maintaining the relationship with them because they need us. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, yeah, I think we may try and buy this building back later. <laughs> you know, so they're, and they've been around for a long time. So, so I think it's capitalism, right? It's, it's part of the beauty of capitalism. Wow. It's, it's like things change, but that creates opportunities. So the people that are really leveraged or are operating in, you know, class B spaces that haven't been updated in a long time, they're tr- having trouble attracting tenants. Um, that's going to be challenging, particularly in certain mm-hmm. areas, but I'm excited about it. As a, I typically am a contrarian about these things. I think this is a great time. It's forcing change. It's in the. This is where the winners typically compound. Um, so, so I think it's also it's exciting. So that's that's like office. That's kind of like urban office. But if you talk, I kind of alluded to it. You know, two of our customers are a couple of the largest um, medical office and life sciences owners in the country. Mm-hmm. Incredibly good business right now. Um, you're not going to do lab work at home. You know, um, no, you're not going to go to the no. physician. Uh, you, may, you may do more telehealth, but like you need a, to go see a, a physician in an office environment. So 
So I, I think there's other areas that retail's seemingly getting healthier. Um, you know, I think industrial is coming off its peak, but it's tends to be a very healthy segment of the market. So it's I think just it's, you know, it's kind of our like our economy now. There's really pockets of strength and weakness. And I think we're seeing this in, in real estate as well. It is fascinating how central real estate has really become to all economic discussions. Like it's just, it, you know, I'm trying to remember if it was a housing. I want to say it was a housing wire podcast I was listening to recently. Um, post by Clayton Collins and mm-hmm. you know it was like it's just the center point of news it was it was with uh, Igor from apartment list and right. you know it was just like it, or Iger sorry and and it just like kept uh you know it, it's the center of all discussions like you can't talk about where the economy is going without talking about how the real estate market is doing um, and it seems like I mean there's a pretty strong correlation now to overall economy and interest rate you know it just and it, we all look at, you know, there's the Fed rate. And then, of course, mortgage is a little, it's not the exact same. It's not a direct one-to-one correlation there. But there's obviously some cause and effect. Yeah. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't get into a little bit of AI here. we sure. got to talk a little bit about AI. You guys uh, have been doing it for several years before GPT-3 was cool. Okay. Um, I'm sorry you guys didn't take off like... <laughs> like the chat tools, you know, <laughs> that everybody and their mother was writing haikus uh, in the voice of Walt Disney. But what I want to ask you, because you have a little bit more insight, of all the the claims of AI, and I'll say machine learning, I'll throw that in there too, and tell me if I'm right. wrong, that they're the same thing or if they're different, but how much do you think is real? And how much is just marketing hype for fancy merge fields and very simple if then statements um i think it's a mixture i I do i'm a big believer that um some of the more recent technologies um will really fundamentally change um the way a lot of industries will operate today and i think uh as a companion uh capability it'll really help give people time back and hopefully elevate the quality of the work uh and the and the quality that the time they spend at work. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm really optimistic. Um, I, I think what I would just say relative to what we're doing is um, you're, you know, I think there's probably a perspective that a lot of the tools are going to be controlled by some very large organizations. Um, you know, we use two of the open source uh, models um, that were coming out of, I think, Meta and, and Google. Um, and we built on mm-hmm. top of those. And that's part of the, the just the timing for us. So I think there's some really great tools that are available to help us lever those. But the really the key thing is, what is your data set that you're utilizing, right? Because mm. um, if you're just plugging into sort of public data, um, it's going to be competed away, right? It's You're not going to have any different. There's not going to be very little differentiation. Mm-hmm. I like our positioning because we're, the data set that we target is private. So there is literally nowhere out there other than maybe 35 leases on the SEC website that uh, has the, the scale because they're private contracts. So, so even if somebody as large as Google wanted to do this, they'd have to go collect this private data, convince someone to give it to them, collect it, and then start you know, building you know, curated annotation to sort of generate training data to then be able to do this at scale. And that's our business. We've been doing it for five years. Um, we partner with our customers to get access to their data. And so mm-hmm. 
Um, they trust us, and thankfully, and we trust we we are the shepherds of their data for them. But um, that's why I feel like as as we progress, it's just going to be not impossible, but hard for someone to sort of fast follow us because they don't have mm-hmm. access to this data set. Um, even the large brokerage firms who have access to this data have not been able to use it to a, to a competitive advantage. And I think that's an opportunity for them, frankly. Um, I don't know if this falls into like the traditional network effects uh, advantage, but it certainly sounds like it to me, like each customer who comes on board with you and, you know, uploads their documents for your learning models. And as your learning models discover more concepts and perfect each concept, then the future models are that much more efficient. They're that much more accurate. And every customer benefits from that. Uh, and it's, it seems pretty convincing to me that there's probably some, like, uh, you know, whether it's not exponential, but there's some compounding effect to then growth there because the time to value for each customer is that much shorter. Um, yeah, but- I think you're, you're exactly right. And it's we're starting to see the benefits of, a large corpus of, of training data that's benefiting and, and tuned algorithms to help us do this. Um, we are we are probably not too far off from having a, a segment of the data that we capture immediately available to people, mm-hmm. um, which gets into time to value. Like literally you upload a document within seconds, you could see quite a bit of information. You know, there's probably some level of like traditional enterprise type sales cycle. Like this is a very professional field. You know, these are larger businesses with probably corporate structures, but a lot of times though products selling into that can be very difficult to demonstrate value on day one. Mm-hmm. Right. You like, well, we have to go through a scoping and then there's a consulting and then, you know, we have a partner agency who comes in and assists with implementation. If anyone's ever gone through Salesforce, does it sound familiar? <laughs> right. But you're you're saying like, hey, we could probably in a demo, like you could upload a doc and immediately see like what sort of value comes from that. So like from the time a customer, you know, signs up, like, hey, okay, yeah, we want to work with you. How long does it take them to like start realizing value from that? We're not quite to the point where we could do like what I call real time upload and delivery because there's I think this will we will be over time. But right now we're we're not quite there, but it's it's definitely something we would like to do. But, you know, depending on the complexity of the building or the tenant list or whatever we're working on, um, we, we tend to be very quick, very fast. We can do it very quickly. Just to give you a sense, on average, it takes on average, each tenant we get on a customer basis has seven documents, seven different documents. Um uh, and we typically, it takes us to get each tenant up and running and live is under 45 minutes. can be much quicker than that. Um, it could be longer than that, depending on the complexity. And, and we've seen some customers have uh, tenants that have more than 200 documents, and they've been in the buildings since the 80s. Um, those are interesting. Um, but, uh, but you're right. I think we can show value quickly. And I think as we get more mature and our technology continues to improve, we'll be able to shorten that time to value uh, very quickly. Got it. Well, I want to get us, uh, we've got to shift in here towards the bottom of the show. I, I, have, I have so many more questions and angles that we could go with this. Um, I'm, I'm so interested here what you've got going. Uh, but we've got to go on. We're going to jump into what I like to call for the future. For the future is when I get to ask each guest who comes in the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Cameron, are you ready to play? I'm ready. As ready as I'll ever be. 
<laughs> All right, let's do it. Question number one, what does Profia look like one year from now? Um, I think we should will be more than uh, two and a half times bigger. Um, that's what we're planning and, and working towards. I think we'll have a second product offering. We're, we're expanding our core product. But I think we'll have an additional product offering uh, in the market. And um, yeah, we should have probably 20-ish percent more people on the team. Very cool. Number two, what percent of asset managers will be using AI-driven tools three years from now? Why that percent? I think it'll probably be 20%. And just because the market's so big, um, and uh, the still, I think the, I think the industry is, is it's a conservative industry, so I think it will take time for adoption. But I do think uh, when people start seeing the benefits of these tools, um, it's going to expedite, and we'll see the snowballing effect of that. We're already starting to see that a bit as well. Um, hmm. uh, so I am I am optimistic that we're going to see a lot of adoption um, in the not too distant future. As a bonus uh, add on to that one, is there risk at being too early if you're uh, providing AI tools or something that's too advanced for a conservative industry like this? Yeah, I think it is, and you picked up on it. We don't. You know, we don't lead with AI. When, if you look at our, you probably looked at our website, we talk about very tactical problem solving. And it's because, again, it goes back to this principle that, like, we want to focus on customer problems, not on trying to confuse them with, you know, acronyms they don't know what they mean. Mm. Uh, we're, a, we're, a, we're, we're trying to be a solution provider and we're applying technology against those problems. So, um, so I think from that perspective, um, uh, we're hoping to sort of make it really easy and like not scary and uh, digestible for people. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, it's it's sort of on our it's our cross to bear. Like we are the ones needing to make these investments, and you should care about the quality output. And you know that like we're using best best in class people and tools to get there. But um, uh, that's part of what you're why you're paying us. Got it. Number three. What's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? Yeah, I think the it's, it's interesting to see what the the status of uh, white collar workers is, particularly in urban environments. Um, uh, we are, as a company, learning how to operate in this environment. Um, I certainly, when I started this company, didn't think we'd be a remote first, you know, company. We were trying to cluster people in offices, but I think. Many companies are trying to figure this out. Um, I think in certain areas of the U.S., particularly, there's, there'll be cultural differences. Um, but I do think yes. people people do want to have collaboration. They do want to have community. And so I do think there's a balance for us of, like, maybe we'll have a little less space, but we're going to need to have really good space for people to, to come in and collaborate and to entice people to be in the office. Um, and we're much more about we hire professionals. Um, we're not telling people what to do, um, but we um, and, you know, I think that's played well for us, but, uh, but it's an interesting, it'll be interesting to see how companies adapt and change, um, especially with broadband and the changes that COVID brought about kind of working wherever you are. So in, in a way, it's great. It's giving our people more agency. They can be wherever they need to be. But how do we maintain really good culture, really good learning and development and build relationships um, in that environment? So I think that's, that's a trend uh, that'll be really interesting to kind of keep track of. When we bought our house here in South Dakota, uh, as a as evidence to that trend and like one of the things that changed, uh, 
it didn't matter what house the realtor sent me or which one I or the many I found and then sent him. Uh, the first question was, does it have high speed internet? Yeah. Because yeah. if it didn't, it was off the table. Like it just, it, it didn't matter if, to me if it was going to be a bidding war, didn't matter to me, it, whatever, like it had criteria. And then if the house met the criteria, the very first question outside of that was high speed internet. Yes or no. Yeah. And yeah. we had a handful. We had to regretfully rule out and they were beautiful and they would have been wonderful to live in the black Hills national forest. But uh, you know, internet doesn't reach everywhere yet. <laughs> so. It's it's like electricity and water and plumbing, you know, it's just, it, yeah, for, for professionals, you have to have it and you have to um, have it. Yep. And, um, it's critical to professional development and everything else. So anyway, it's a balance. Like we're, we're yep. open. We want to find the best people. And if they happen to be in, in South Dakota, like that's okay. Like we're very supportive of that. Um, but it just, it's harder for companies to sort of learn how to learn, develop and support, um, employees that are, that are not sort of all contained in an office. So we're, we're learning yeah. about that ourselves. All right. Last one here on for the future. What's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? Um, I would say, uh, for us, it's very obvious, uh, which is the manually subtraction work that's going on. Um, uh, it's just work no one wants to do. No offense to anyone mm. who does the work. It's super important. Um, but it's hard. It's, it's, uh, it's just a, it's a task. Collecting data is a task that's just better uh, to let machines and software do. And so um, we want to encourage people to do higher value work and effort and in the case of property managers, it's like more engagement with tenants, which is really important rather than doing paperwork or doing data compilation. We want to provide tools for asset managers to think strategically about what they're doing. So I think a lot of this manual data compilation work is something that um, I'm excited to bring to the market and offer to people because it just is going to enhance the quality of the work of the people and just, and, yeah. uh, I think, allow people to do higher level activity which to me is exciting and bring and allow them to bring data to the to the table allow them to use data to help make decisions to drive different thinking and approaches and that to me is exciting and we have a generation of people that are inheriting leadership roles in real estate that are ready for this kind of stuff whereas a prior generation maybe wasn't so that to me is exciting too very cool all right, last three questions Cameron these are about you so our listeners get to know you just a bit better first one what are you reading I'm reading Sapiens. Um, I'm a little late to the party, but uh, the big I, book. Uh, I've just started it, and uh, it's it's compelling. I kind of, I kind of, in a way, I kind of wish I uh, studied more biology. But uh, um, I, uh, I'm reading that currently. Very cool. Uh, number two, who are you learning from? Um, I am learning from our customers and our team every day. Um, every time I interact with a customer, a prospective customer, we learn something. It's just fun, again, to, to come with a beginner's mind and just uh, soak up information. And what we do with that information is, is part of the fun. But yeah, we learn, I, in, in our work, it's learning from our team, from our customers, mm -hmm. um, uh, and from our prospective customers, uh, literally every day. It's, it's uh, exhilarating and a lot of fun for me. Okay, last one here for you. What inspires you? Um, two things. Um, I get inspired by uh, one, are seeing our customers succeed and seeing them uh, happy and um, uh, using our product and uh, 
giving us feedback. That derives a lot of pleasure. When you start something from scratch with just an idea and to see it actually c- come to fruition, it's mm-hmm. there's a huge, uh, it feels great to have that happen. Then the second thing is seeing our team succeed and grow. Um, you know, we're, we're growing as a company. Uh, we've got a lot of, we've got some mixture of experiences and just seeing people grow in their jobs and learn and contribute is something that, again, inspires me every day. So it's part of the reason why I wanted to start another company was because I, it's just fun to see people come in and learn and just grow as individuals and as professionals. So um, that also inspires me. Cameron, this has been great. I uh, Thank you so much for your time. Um, really appreciate the conversation. You guys are doing some interesting stuff. Uh, sounds like you have you've built quite a little bit of a moat around uh, the business, and sounds like you have the momentum to, to carry through. Whether or not we're headed for a higher low, <laughs> there's, well, there's we'll going to be a need for know. someone to manage these buildings, and they're yep. going to need help with that. Uh, before we close out, for those who want to connect to you or get more information, uh, where do they go and how do they do that? Yeah, they can find me on uh, profia.com, which is our website, of course. And then um, I tend to be on the social media. I'm not too active, but I am active on LinkedIn. Um, I will post and people can find me at just Cameron Steele Profia on LinkedIn. Easy to find. Not on Twitter? I do have a Twitter account, but I I am just more of a voyeur. Um, it's All an right. interesting All world right. out there and I learn, I, I learn things from there, but I, I typically am not uh, actively posting. So this is this is all part of my one man mission to get all prop tech founders on Twitter. Your customers are there. They're complaining. They're celebrating. They're detailing their their wins and losses. Um, come join us. It's it's a party. We're having a lot of fun over if, there on Twitter. If it's if that's where our customers are, we will be there for sure. Boom! There it is. Love it. Well, <laughs> thanks, Cameron. Uh, can't wait to actually meet you in person. Uh, until then, we'll see you later. Thanks, Nate. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to TechNest, the PropTech podcast. Find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode on technest.io. You can get future episodes delivered to your ears directly by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast apps. Follow TechNest on social media to stay up to speed on new developments, resources, and announcements in PropTech. Your support is greatly appreciated. There's two ways you can directly support this podcast. Share episodes you find interesting and then leave a review of the show in the App Store. From Nate and the TechNest team, thanks for listening.